us. Christ died for the ungodly. I love that. Very rarely will someone, will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love Paul. Isn't he awesome? Before we ever were like cleaned up because of what Christ did in the cross. When we were just sinners, we weren't good people. There was no reason to die for us. We didn't deserve it. But yet, Christ went to the cross for us. So it doesn't make sense, right? Now, this might seem silly, and I, I don't know if you've seen the movie or not, but there's a movie called A Knight's Tale. It's got Heath Ledger in it. Has anybody ever seen that movie? It's kind of a spoof on, you know, the medieval times, and there's these knights. If you were of noble birth you, and you were a knight, you could participate in jousting. And so in this movie called The Knight's Tale, these men, they go and they joust. And at the end of each tournament, the person who won, had the most points in jousting, wins a prize. Okay, so they get this money and then they go on to the next tournament. Be kind of like the NFL teams, right? If you go and you win, you get the prize. And then you go on to the next game. Well, there's this man who really likes this girl. And he says to her at one point, I'm going to win today's tournament for you. And she's like, really? You're going to win it for me? Yes, yes, when I win and I get my award, I'm going to say I did this in your name. And she's like, no, you're not. You're doing this for you. You want to win because you want to be the best, and you want to win, right, because you want the money, and you want to win because then it makes your ranking go up in the tournament. You're not winning for me. And he's like, no, no, I want to win for you. I want to show you how much I love you. And she's like, okay, if you want to show me how much you love me, then go against your human nature. Go against your nature to want to win and lose. And he's like, he's just, what do you mean? If, if I go out there and lose today, then that just shows that I'm a loser. And she's like, no, that'll show you love me. So today, I want you to go and lose. And he gets really mad. And he's like, I will not be a loser, or whatever. And he storms off. So then he goes, and it's his first, whatever, joust. And they wave the flag, and he's just sitting there. And the other guy's coming on his horse. And he's just sitting there, and he's like holding himself up real tight. And he's got this thing, and he's the guy next to him. He's like, did you not see? They waved the flag. Go. And he goes, I saw the flag. He's like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm losing. And the, his friend is like, why are you losing? And he goes, because I love her. Like he walked away, and he thought about what she said. And he realized that that was true, right? To make sure he won would be his human nature. But to prove to her that he really did love her, he lost. And he lost, and he lost, and he lost. Now, of course, if you watch the movie, eventually she sends her handmaiden to him and says, if you really loved me, and he goes, I know, I'll lose. Has she not been watching? And the handmaiden goes, no, she says, if you 
really love her, now you'll do everything you can to win. And of course, it's this movie, and also he somehow miraculously wins the tournament that day because it's a movie. But what I thought was really interesting when I was praying and talking to God about why the cross was so important, he kept showing me that scene of the movie. I'm like, what does him losing have to do with this? And he's like, Mary, you don't understand. It was not in Jesus' best you know, interest to go when he knew he was going to be crucified, to go and to die. Any other person would have thought, no, I should live. I'm only 33 years old. I'm only 32 years old. I should, I should live for another 50 years so I can spread my message of hope and I can heal more people and, and I should preserve my life and, and keep living. But that's not what he came to do. He did do that for three years. And he shared that message and the disciples were there and they were able to go and to share that message with even others. He came with the sole purpose of dying on that cross. And just like that woman had said to the knight and said, if you really love me, you would lose. And you would go against your human nature. Jesus said, because I love you, I'm going to go to the cross. And that's why, you know, Peter, every time Jesus would say he was doing this, they would get so upset. They're like, no, well, then let's not go, right? Let's not go to Jerusalem if you know you're going to die. But he went to the cross because he knew that he was doing this because he loved us. He did the opposite of human nature. He did something that willingly for us... And so when we see now the symbol of the cross, it reminds us of this horrible death that he was willing to go to and go and be a part of that. In John chapter 10, starting in verse 7, he tries to explain this. He says, Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf scatters the fl- or attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. Everybody who's not Jewish say, Amen! Come on, I love this. It's like he's telling them, hello, more people are going to come. That's us. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too 
They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Command I receive from my Father. I love this. And this isn't even necessarily one of the times where he specifically talked about going to Jerusalem and dying. This is an extra time, right? So I could say four times he told them, at least recorded, right? In this in this particular gospel. So he keeps telling them, I am going to lay my life down because I have the authority to do so and to pick it back up again. This was like a huge concept for all of them to understand that God came down in flesh because he loved us so much. And in this flesh body, when he can feel all the things that we feel, he was willing to go to that cross. The cross means so much because he went against human nature to preserve his own life, to let his life be the sacrifice. Because he loves us. He's like that knight that says, I'll lose. I'll not only lose, but I'll let him stab that thing through my heart. Guess what? I'm God. A few days later, I can just be alive again. It's not about me being the winner, right? It was never about Jesus like telling all the Romans to get out of town and he was going to sit on some earthly throne, right, and uh, just be the king of the whole world. He knew who he was. As God, he didn't need to do anything to prove himself. He didn't have to follow human nature because he didn't have human nature. He had God nature. He was God, power, and of himself. So he was willing to lay down his life. I love, though, as he's explaining that he's going to lay down his life for all of us, it's not just for the sheep of that pen, meaning the Jewish people, but that there were going to be other sheep that would come. And this is a great reminder for all of those apostles who would then lead that church to say that we will be one flock with one shepherd. There's not going to be a different type of Christianity for the Gentiles and a different type of Christianity for the Jewish people. It would be all Christianity for one. So he did all of this willingly. Well, good question is, what did he do? Let's see here. In Philippians... He describes this of reconciling himself. But before we go there, what I really want to look at is what did he do? And let's go to Matthew chapter 26. And this is going to take a little bit of time. But it's Good Friday. And the Gospels do a much better job of telling you what happened than I would. So, let's take a moment and read what happened. The disciples and Jesus had already met. They had their Passover meal. There's so much to that that we're not going to have time today to look at. 
Then he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he began to pray. And he asked the disciples to pray along with him. And they were tired, and they fell asleep, and they fell asleep. And he woke them up, and he woke them up, and said, you guys aren't going to be prepared for this. But they fell back asleep. And then the mob came. Now, you all know me and how much I love to dig in to the actual culture and what was going on. Why did he tell his disciples at one point to grab swords, and then when that mob actually came, he stopped the violence? Personally, I believe that the mob came that was directed from the high priest come in the middle of the night was so that they could just slaughter them all in the middle of the night and be done with it. And there would not have had to have been anything public because the people in Jerusalem that were there for Passover from all of the outlying villages, and we talked about this last week, had said, Hosanna, Hosanna, he's coming in, right? They had celebrated him. So they didn't want this to be a public thing. So if they can just go find Jesus and his disciples in the middle of the night, kill them all, and then the next morning feign ignorance, that would have been simple. But of course Christ knew, God knew their intentions. And so as you read through some of the Gospels, he made sure they had a sword with them that night. So as I begin to read through this, you're going to see how the violence started. Peter took off a guy's ear, and right away, Jesus kind of stopped it all. And what that showed the ones that came after him with clubs is that, hey, we've got swords, and we're not going to just let you come and take him and kill him and do whatever in the middle of the night. We're going to fight back. So then all of a sudden, they stopped. Jesus said, put the sword away. And he healed the servant's ear. And he said, I'll go with you, but why are you coming in the middle of the night? And then from then on out, everything was public. So that's, again, just my personal theory as to, like, why would they come at night and why did it start that way? So we're going to start. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is about to get arrested. So we are in Matthew chapter 26. While he was still speaking, this is Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and with him was a huge, large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached out for his sword and drew it out and struck the servant of the high, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, all, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will not at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of an angels? But now then, would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples deserted him and fled. So now if we, now he goes before the Sanhedrin, Peter disowns him in the courtyard, Judas realizes like, oh, they actually do have the intent to kill him. So he gets upset, he throws the money back at the temple leaders and he hangs himself. 
So now we're in Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. So at this point, this would have been the morning he was crucified. Still early in the evening morning. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prison prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one of you do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that the leaders had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two of you of the two of you want me to release? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. They all shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Then they released Barabbas to him, but had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now remember, because the Romans had taken over the government, the Jewish people were only allowed to lead in their religious organization. So they could not murder somebody. They could not you know, arrest somebody and do all these different things. They had to have the government ruler, which was Pilate, approve, and only the soldiers were allowed to have these capital punishments go out. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the Pateronium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his his own clothes on him, and they led him away to crucify him. Now remember, Jesus knew all of this was going to happen. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. 
This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it up in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all of the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Allah, Allah, lama shaptanai, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine Jesus being with God from the beginning? If you read in Genesis, it says, we created man in our image. The beginning of John, it says, he was always there. Before the earth was ever made, Jesus was there with God. And right now, in this moment, he's on the cross, he's taken upon all of our sin, and he is without God in that moment as he is the sin sacrifice. And now, for the first time, he knows what it feels like to be separated from God. When it says that Jesus came and he endured temptation and he endured everything that we've ever felt, so he understands in our human body everything that we've ever been through, it means everything. So this is the moment where what he felt was absence from God. Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone and let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He had said to them, I have the ability to have my life gone and I have the ability to take it back up again. So before the Romans did what their tradition was, which was to break the legs of the soldiers in part of their torture, so then the blood would pool because when you break the legs, it breaks some of your vessels and arteries and all that down in there, your veins, and the blood would then pool up and then basically you would suffocate because you wouldn't be able to breathe in deep enough with everything that was happening in your body. It was a very torturous way of dying. He gave up his spirit and he died because as Jewish people, the sacrifices would always be perfect. They wouldn't have any broken bones. It says that in verse 50, and when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook the rock split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified 
and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching them from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Armethia named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the out of a rock, that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Now I know I've read to many of you Isaiah 53, where one of the prophecies about the Messiah says that, you know. He was with the poor in his death, right, but laid with the rich. What does that mean? As somebody who was crucified, he should, his, his burial place should have been just the public cemetery where all the criminals would have been thrown after the crucifixion. But instead, a rich man came and laid him in his death in a tomb. Isn't that amazing? Like, that was written 500 years before. And you're, like, reading it. You're like, oh, my gosh. I just think that's cool. The next day... The one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. I love how the next day, the one after preparation day, what were they preparing for? The Passover. So that's why, again, when I was explaining earlier, many people believe the next day was the Passover day. The day after would have been their normal Sabbath day. And then that leads us then to Sunday. So they, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he had been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, so there had been the preparation day when he had been crucified. There would have been Passover, we're assuming. There would have been the Sabbath day. And then now, after the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, which would have been a Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb because now they could finally go and prepare his body. If you read some of the other Gospels when it talks about that, they said, how are we going to roll that stone away? Because they wanted to get in there and put the ointment on his body. But this one just cuts to the chase. That's why I'm reading this version, because it's a little bit shorter than some of the other Gospels. So I know it's taken a minute, but I picked the shortest one for all of you. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. 
come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go ahead and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So he willingly went, knowing that I'm going to put my life down, I'm going to die, I'm going to do this. But then after that third day, I'm going to rise up again. And then I'm going to be able to walk among the earth, tell everybody what's going on. We know from reading the rest of the Gospels in the book of Acts that he, was, he appeared for 40 days. And the day he ascended into heaven, it is written in one of the letters how over 500 people were there and saw him going up. And so... The cross means so much because not only was he willing to go and do that, but then when he did that, now the Jewish people and all of us simply have to believe in him to be forgiven. Before that, they would have to go and make animal sacrifices for their sins to be covered. But when we read through the Gospels, especially in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes and says, how can a person be saved? And he begins to talk to them about having the Holy Spirit and believing. I love how, and most of us know the John 3, 16, for God so loved the earth, the world, right? That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believes. And then it goes on in three seventeen, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What's interesting is a lot of times we feel like, well, because I've sinned, then I'm no longer forgiven. But when you continue reading through that passage in John 3, he explains and he says, those who stand condemned are condemned because they do not believe in Christ, basically. He said in the one and only Son of God. And he goes on to explain that those are in the light, what they do is seen plainly. So because of what Jesus did on the cross, now the fact that we're all sinners and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God is is seen plainly. We know that I'll never live up to that. But my salvation is based on my belief in Jesus. 
in what he did. So we have in the past put the cross up and have had a chance for us to maybe write down something we're struggling with or maybe sin or temptation and then nail that to the cross as we're reminded that our sins are what nailed him to the cross. But today I wanted us to look at something a little bit different. He didn't go to the cross so that every year we can be reminded that we're a sinner and that it's our horrible sins that put him on the cross. He went to the cross because he loves us and he wants us to be blessed and he wants good things for us. I love how that passage in John chapter 10 when he talks about being that good shepherd, he says that I want to be a blessing, right? I lay down my life for you. It's the enemy, it's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I want you to have life and life to the full. So as we finish up here, I want us to look in Philippians chapter 4. In verse 19, it says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God wants us to be blessed. He didn't go to the cross simply so that we would be saved, even though that's part of it. Isaiah 53, verse 5. I'll just read it to you because it's so good. I know you've heard it before, but it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. He went to the cross for so much more than simple salvation. He went to the cross so that we could have peace, so that we could have healing, so that we could be blessed, so that we could live life to the full. So today, on your tables there, there should be like a prayer card. You'll have to look. Marlene might have to have the ushers grab some extras if we don't have enough for everybody. Can everybody grab in those boxes right there? See if there's, you guys have them in the front row, right there in the, on the, on the, right there in the front row. Can everybody grab a prayer card? And we always encourage all of you that when you are, when we take up an offering, to, you can use the envelopes, obviously, for keeping track of your giving, if you would like your tax receipt at the end of the year. But the prayer card is a place where if you have anything that you want to share in the elders, and I pray for those. But right now, what I want us to write down is one of two different things, right? Either one, what is a blessing that you have received from having God in your life? Sometimes it's hard for us to reflect on that. We, so many times we look at the, the cross and we think of, oh, this is all the sin that I put him up on the cross. But today I want us to think about, he went to the cross for us to be blessed. So what is a blessing I have in my life because of that? Do I have peace? Do I have healing? Do I have um, love? Do I have forgiveness? And also I want us to think about, though, what it says here in the Philippians where it says, "God, my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory. For some of us, maybe we have to write down, I know he's blessed me in many ways, 
but today I need an extra blessing. Today I need a blessing in my finances or I need a blessing for healing because he went to the cross to bless you. He went to the cross to say, in my riches and my glory, I can do anything for you. But I think so many times we forget to ask. So go ahead and write down either something you're super thankful for or something that you know that you will be thankful for when he takes care of it in your area of your life. The song that kept going through my head as I was preparing this last portion of the sermon was, and and I'm not a singer, so you all have to bear with me, but... My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He shall give his angels charge over me. Jehovah Jireh provides for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh provides for me. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He shall give his angels charge over me. Jehovah Jireh provides for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh provides for me. What I love about this, it doesn't say, God will meet your needs with whatever you have available. Right? God will have you figure it out. No, his angels will have charge over me. His riches, his glory. He will take what he has and will meet my needs. But so many times we look at the cross and we think that we just have the right to say forgive me of my sins may I go to heaven when I die and we forget that we have the right to say provide for my needs because he went to the cross so that we could have both he went to the cross he says the good shepherd lays down his life it is the devil it is the thief that comes to steal kill and destroy but I have come to give them life and life to the full When he comes as the good shepherd and he lays down his life and he looks at the flock, he wants you to know that he did that so that way you can have life and life to the full. All right, I'm going to have the ushers come forward. And if you want to share your prayer card with us and so that we will agree and pray over you, you can. But if you want to take it home and like tape it up somewhere to look at it, to be reminded that you can keep asking God to do that, that's okay too, because I'm going to pray over all these cards right now. So it's entirely up to you if you want to save it or if you want to put it here. And you can always just go home and write out another you know, note for yourself and post it somewhere as a reminder if you want. Now, since the basket will be going by, if you would like to add some offering in, that's wonderful. All the resources that come in we're able to use to help the community. And all of you are able to give in many different ways. We're always thankful for that. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this moment in time where we can all come together and be blessed because of what Christ was willing to do on the cross. Thank you for loving us so much that he did go against human nature of preserving one's own life. And even though we weren't good people, 
He was willing to die for us in the state that we were. But because of what he did, we can now stand before you and talk to you, Father, because we are made righteous because of what he did on the cross. We can now come before you and say, bless us. We have needs. Meet our needs by your riches and your glory because of what Christ did on the cross. Help us, Father. And I ask you to be with each and every single person here or those that are listening from home. You know what their needs are. And today is not a day to say the only thing I deserve is forgiveness of sins and nothing else because my sins nailed them to the cross and I have to feel so shameful because of that. No. We, today we get to feel peace. We get to feel joy. We get to feel blessed because of what Christ did on the cross. I can now come to you and say, please help me. In your riches and your glory and your angels are sent out on assignment to fulfill those needs. So right now, Father God, you know every single need that has been written down. You see every single blessing people are thankful for. And I'm asking you to give them a double portion. If they just said, I, I, I need an extra $10,000 this year to be able to help with whatever, give them a double portion. If they just said, I need, I need this one relationship restored, give them a double portion and give them a, a sweeter relationship than it ever was before. Or give, them, give them two relationships that need to be restored. Father God, you know how to bless. That's a double portion today as we and help us. Bless them, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, feel free to pass those baskets. Feel free to put in your, either your prayers or your blessings. God knows. And just a reminder, for those of you who do like technology, you can text to give, or you can go on the website to give, or you can even do a Facebook fundraiser. Some people like to do that for their birthdays. Maybe this year you just want to do it because it's Easter weekend. If you want to do a, a Facebook fundraiser and just ask people to give, you can do that as well. But I am just super glad that you are all here tonight. We will have our Easter service on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. So please feel free. I'm not sure if we have any cards left. We had some little reminder cards, but Invite your cousins, invite your neighbors. If you know of anybody that maybe sometimes they struggle with feeling worthy, they think, like, I can't go to church, let them know that this is a community worship service. Everyone is invited, and this is a place full of people who are all um, sinners. I haven't, I've tried to check all of your cards when you come in, and I haven't found a bona fide, certified, um, perfect person yet, but I'll keep looking. But until then, you can let them know, everybody that's here so far, that we're all sinners saved by grace and that they are welcome. God bless. Thank you so much. I'll see you all hopefully all on Sunday.